Amen. Thanks, Derek. Well, I'd like us to uh, just kind of jump right in uh, this morning to uh, our scripture that we've been looking at over the past uh, couple of weeks as we kind of conclude our inseparable series. It'll come up on the side screens, and so we'll go ahead and let's read this out loud together. For I am convinced, that means all of us, just in case you were wondering. Here we go, one, two, three. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I love that text. Because it says nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from God's love. I mean, it is at the heart of God to have an inseparable relationship with you. And there is not an hour in the day in which God is not thinking about you. He is constantly having you on His mind because he wants an inseparable relationship. He'd like to hear your voice. He'd like for you to be able to think about him. He'd like you to call on him when you need some help or you need a little bit more strength to get through your day. He longs to meet with you at any moment of any day, and he is constantly thinking of you. In fact, sometimes he'd like you to just pause in your day, and be able to say, God, you are such a good God. I'm so glad you're in my life. I want to be with you today. I want to do life with you. Just the normal, mundane stuff, God. Even in that, I want to be there for you. He wants to have an inseparable bond with you. But sometimes we go through stuff that really kind of messes our life up. Circumstances come crashing into our life. And if you're like me, sometimes you're like, but God, why this? And we spent the first week of uh, our inseparable series together talking about this in Romans 8:28 and this is what it says In all things even when it feels like that the world is caving in in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose I mean what a promise folks I mean even when the worst of the worst of the worst happens in your life, God says, let's stay together. And you might not see it right now, but eventually, even this junk, I'm going to turn into good. Then you may be asking, well, that might be true, but is God always for me? 
And last week, Chuck did an amazing job on the teaching of sharing with us that God is for us. In fact, in Romans 8.31, it says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I have a feeling a lot of you probably know some people who are against you. (laughs) You could probably list a whole list of people. But God's not on that list, because God is always for you. Folks, deep in the heart of God, He is always wanting you to know, you know what, I'm for you. When you're going through this, I'm for you. When you do something good, I'm for you. Even when you mess up, I'm still for you. No matter the difficulty, no matter the situation, God is for you. Now let's look at today's text. It's in Romans 8, uh, verse 37. And this is what it says. In all these things, in other words, in every event in your life, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Folks, this verse right here is very, very important for you to understand. Because what it's saying is that God will give you whatever you need to overcome. That you can be a conqueror over any situation that you experience in life. I mean, there might be a temptation that comes up in your day and you're like, Oh man, there is no way I'm going to be able to overcome this. But you can. You can be a conqueror over all things. You can overcome the most brutal of temptations through the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. You can suffer some betrayal in your life. Betrayal that is so deep and so painful that you say, I'll never get over this. I will never forget this. I'm going to take this sadness for the rest of my life. And yet this verse says, you can overcome disappointment. You can overcome tragedy. You can really overcome through the power of Christ. And at some point, you might even be able to say, you know what, I can let that go. I can release that to God. And then maybe there are some situations in your life in which you want to take revenge. Because someone wronged you. Someone did something to you. And you're like, I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to get back at that person. And in moments like that, sometimes the Spirit of God just comes to you and will say, wait a minute. Just just hold on. Wait a minute. Through the power of Christ, you can even conquer your need to get even. When there is a character test sometime in your life, and everything within you says, due to these circumstances, I mean, if you only knew these circumstances, I've got to lie. I've got to cheat. I've got to do what everyone else is doing. 
that even in that moment, that God can whisper to you and he would be able to say, I will give you the power right now that you can overcome this. You can overcome the character test. And guess what? You can pass with an A. In fact, there is not a situation, folks, in your life that you will ever experience that God will not give you enough power to overcome and conquer if you choose His way. There's a story in the Old Testament about uh, a prophet, a guy by the name of Elisha. And a prophet was kind of like uh, a pastor of his day. He was a person who would speak on uh, God's behalf. God would tell him something and he would tell uh, the people. And uh, he had a servant. And this servant, every time he was around Elisha, every time he would hang out with him, he would get into trouble. So you don't want to hang out with me very much, because you might get in trouble, okay? But Elisha, I really thought that was going to be funnier, but it really wasn't. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So this servant that's hanging around this pastor, okay, uh, he's like, oh, I don't know if I should hang out with him. He says it's, it might be a hazardous thing to hang out with this guy. And look at what the Scripture says. It says, when the servant of this man of God, this prophet, got up and went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So they're in this city. The prophet is been told by God, everything's going to be okay. They're in the city, though, and this servant looks out, and he sees all of these horses and chariots surrounding the city. It doesn't look good. And so he says to Elisha, the prophet, Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? I mean, we are surrounded. We're going to get killed. And the prophet said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, open my servant's eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, I love that text because there are situations that periodically come up in my life in which I say something like, Oh, God, you cannot believe this situation. There is no way, God, I'm going to be able to overcome this. I'm surrounded. There is too much that's going on. And then I think of this text and I wonder, what if God actually like took the scales off of my eyes and I could see the horses and the chariots all around me saying, We're for you, Chris. We've been sent to protect you, to help you, to strengthen you. What if I could see angelic hosts and angels that were around to say, hey, we've been sent by God to take care of you. What if I could see the risen Christ with His nail-pierced hands reaching down and saying, hey, let me help you up. And let's do this thing together because you are more than a conqueror through me. Folks, we have the ability 
and the capability of living the rest of our lives over with an overcoming spirit. We could overcome anything. Because again, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But do we live that way? The last couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at a uh, particular diagram. It'll come up here on the screen called our spiritual growth continuum. And we basically have said that all of us fit into one of these four segments. The first one there is explorers. Those are individuals that are exploring, trying to check out this thing uh, called uh, Christianity. And we know that about 25% of us in this room right now, about one out of every four of us are kind of there. We might be coming for a while, but we haven't really crossed the line of faith, but we're interested. We're exploring, and we're glad that that's happening. And I pray that today something in the celebration will help you lean in a little bit more to Christ and to his love for you. Then people, once they explore, they finally get to that point where they accept Jesus as Lord of their life, And uh, they come to the cross and they go, you know what, I can't do anything on my own. I'm trusting in you. And today we have five people that are going to get baptized uh, after our celebration. You can come down. They've crossed that line of faith. And then we have beginners or what we'll call new believers, people who have just accepted Christ and they're going down a path. And then we have uh, those who are in the intermediate And uh, those are growing Christians, people who are growing into a relationship. And then finally, on that far right-hand side, there is uh, Christ-centered folks. And if you remember, last week, Chuck talked about the fact that the greatest gap you might think was between the explorer and the cross, or the cross and the beginner, but it's not, that the biggest gap happens between the intermediate and the Christ-centered folks that that is the biggest gap of spiritual growth on that continuum. And the reason is, is because if you remember, Chuck said that it will cost you something if you finally say that I'm totally Christ-centered. Because what typically happens is that people kind of discover through reading the Bible or uh, through going to a small, uh, small group or going to church, that usually people discover that God is for them, like people at the explorer, beginner, immediate level, they realize that God is for them, and then somehow they get real weird about that, and they go, well, if God is for me, and I want to do this, I'll just tell God that you need to do this for me. And you kind of pull God, and you say, you're on my path now. And we talked about last week when you come to a crossroad and there's God's program and there's your program that so often we tend to go our own way. But Christ-centered folks, they wake up in the morning and they just surrender and they say, you know what, God, I want your program. I don't care if there are good, bad, or ugly things that happen today. I'm following your program. Now, here's what happens to uh, new beginners, believers, and uh, growing Christians. 
When difficulty comes crashing into their life, what typically happens is they go, foul, on the arm, God, you just had a foul. God, foul on you. You say, why me, God? And you turn to self-pity. And you want everyone to know that you got screwed. You're like, poor me. Poor me. And you call yourself God? Look what's happening in my life. And they call it foul on God. Several uh, years ago, a guy came up to me and uh, he was struggling with the fact that he was going to lose his house. And so I was talking to him and, you know, I said, you know, did you kind of borrow more than, you know, what you could actually afford? He goes, it's none of your business. Okay. And uh, that is what he did. And uh, he started blaming God, and this is God's fault, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was him, and, you know, foul, God, foul on you. And now he had to get rid of his house. They had to downsize. That'd do a whole lot of different stuff. During that same period of time, another guy came up to me, and he was going through the same thing. He was going to lose his house. And I was, like, getting prepared, you know, like, okay, don't ask him Did you borrow more money than you really needed to? You know, so I kind of pulled that out. And um, I was assuming that he was going to foul God, you know, foul on you, God, and seek self-pity too. And then he said this. He said, you know, I'm going to lose my house, but it's my fault. I got more money from the bank than I knew that I could actually afford in my budget and I got a little bit greedy and I tried to stretch that money out a little bit too much. And then he looked in my eyes and he said this, but you know, God has been so faithful to us. And I've just kind of decided that in this next stage of my life, I'm going to do money God's way And I'm going to live on less, and I'm going to be more content no matter the situation. And I really believe that God is going to bless the rest of my spiritual journey. Now, I know guys are not supposed to hug each other in a setting like that, where you're just by yourselves. I mean, it freaks guys out. But I just grabbed him. I'm like hugging him. He's like, oh, man. And you know why? Because I don't hear conversations like that very often. Usually, when circumstances go south, beginners or growing Christians will go, foul, God, foul, poor me. Look what's happened to me. Somebody screwed me. Now, I've been following Jesus the best way I know how for the past 16 years. Not perfectly, but the best way that I know how. 
And as I've been following him, this is the thing that I've learned. Nowadays, folks, it, it is very rare that I call a foul on God. I just don't call a foul on God anymore. And if something comes my way and I don't like it or the circumstances seem bad or whatever, I'm not real quick to call a foul on God. And when circumstances are difficult, when relationships get strained in my life, I'm really trying hard now to ask God, to say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment right now? God, I don't see it right now, but I know that you will turn everything into good. Can you help me believe that? God, I know you can give me the power to overcome this line of thought. Help me. And friends, there are some important lessons that I've learned over the past year by asking God questions rather than calling a foul. And they tend to come, those lessons learned, tend to come to people who are Christ-centered. Now, as we kind of close out this whole inseparable series, I want to kind of wrap this up by having us look at some segments of your life and how important it is for you to stay intimately connected with God through reading Scripture regularly, five minutes a day. we got Bibles uh, in the conference room that you can pick up, a little reading plan. We also uh, you know, want to encourage you to pray. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, just a few moments each day where you're praying. And if you're not in a small group right now, I would just encourage you, sign up today. Because the greatest way that you're going to grow is when you're in community with other folks. But this morning, what I want to talk about is making the Sunday morning celebration a priority. And I've done this by having a visual image. Now, all of you, I think, can see this here. This is one of the chairs that if you get early, if you come here early, you get to sit in. If not, you get the crappy chairs in the back, okay? <laughs> but if you get early, you get in this chair. And this is a chair that uh, you might call your worship life. That's a segment of your life. It's called your worship life. This is a church chair. And we want to encourage you to consistently kind of be here. And I was thinking about it this week. That for many of you, this is the only time that I see you guys during the week, is when you're sitting in this chair. And you're only sitting here, though, for an hour, or if I get real windy, an hour and 20 minutes, and then they cut me off at that point. But that's about it, that you're sitting in this chair. But you have so many other segments of your life in which you're sitting in other chairs. For instance... This uh, next chair here, just to help you, hopefully I don't have to, I know I can't raise the bench. Everybody see this? This is an office chair, and this kind of represents your vocational, your vocational life. And uh, I know some of you, you don't work in an office at all. Uh, You might be a construction worker. You might work in a department store. Uh, You might uh, work in a factory. It really doesn't matter. This chair simply represents those 40 or 50 hours a week that you put in each week. And it's kind of your, you know, your work 
or your vocational uh, life. Now, there's another chair that's up here that's uh, represented by a kitchen chair that is kind of your uh, family life or your family kind of segment. And uh, you sit in this chair at different times during the week, and maybe you have dinner together with your family, but this kind of represents your family time uh, that you spend. And then finally... There is this uh, kind of free time chair represented by this uh, park bench. And uh, in this free time kind of chair, this is all the rest of your time. Uh, It could be time where you're sitting watching TV. A lot of you do that. Or, uh, you know, uh, online. might be recreation if you're exercising, uh, shopping, traveling, whatever. But that represents that chair. But this is what I've learned, folks, is that however you spend time in this first chair affects every other life chair in your life. Whatever happens there is going to affect everything else in your life. And um, part of that's your Bible reading or prayer, whatever, but some of it, and that's what I want to talk about today, is just you being in that chair on Sunday mornings on a consistent kind of basis. Because what happens in that chair, folks, has the power to transform everything else in your life, all the other segments of your life, all the other chairs. And the question really becomes, if, if you're being transformed here, are you different in this chair, your work chair? Are you different in your family chair? Are you different when it comes to your free time? Are you different because you're sitting in that first chair? And it's up to you. Can people tell when you're at work that you've actually sat in that chair? When uh, you're at your home with your kids and your family around you, can they tell that you've actually been in that chair? When you're just out and about, do people notice that you are radically inclusive, that you're loving, you're caring toward the people around you? Is there something different and positive when you're in that chair. Once again, folks, the Bible says this really should be happening in your life. Now let's go back to Romans uh, 8, verse 37. Again, it says this, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now, Looking at that spiritual continuum again, what we know when we look at the jar is that most of us are at the beginning or the growing Christian kind of level. And many times I talk to folks who are in that segment of life, and when it comes to work, 
if they're real honest with me, they'll say something like this. You know, my work, my work was going really, really well until I got a new boss. And ever since I got that new boss, I'll tell you what, it hadn't been the same. And frankly, just between you and me, Chris, he's an idiot. Whoa, okay. And someone will come up to me and they'll say, you know what my work did? They put brand new computer software that we all have to learn. Every single one of us have to learn this new software. I like the old one, and now they're making me learn this new one. And I don't like it. Okay. Or people will come up to me and they'll say, you know, they sent someone new into my department, and that person, when they get there, they tell some of the most dirty jokes and it's GD this and GD that, I can't stand them. And I've heard that over and over again, and you know what that translates to me? When things go wrong at work, foul, God, foul, why is this happening to me? What are you doing up there? And they start this pity party. Poor me. I've got to deal with this new boss. Poor me. I have to actually learn something. Poor me. I've got to deal with someone who tells dirty jokes. And sometimes I just want to take people when they say that to me. I want to shake them. When I go, have you ever thought, has it occurred to you that God might actually have brought this new boss to you so that you could be an encouragement to them and could pray for them? You know, actually maybe learning this new software, God's going to put something together to where you're going to get promoted. Because you'll be the only one who really says, you know what, we're going for it. Let's do it. And maybe the person that tells those coarse jokes and uses God's name in vain, actually, maybe God brought that person to your workplace so that you could pray for them that over months and years, as you pray and you love on that person, one day they might actually bow their knee to Jesus Christ and you would be the vehicle that God used to celebrate their life. Has it occurred to you? I mean, rather than having a pity party when things don't go right at work, why not pray? Have a pray party. And pray through this. Because you can overcome those kind of situations. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys with me? About a third of you. Same thing happens to people when they pray sloppy prayers for their family. 
Oh, God, could you please help my wife to bow down to me a little bit more? I mean, God, she is doing all of these things, but what about me? What about me? Or, dear God, please be with my kids. Help them to get good grades. I don't want to have to cash in any of my retirement to get them to some training school. Help, God. Or, God, help my kids not to mess up. Because if they did, then other people might not think I'm such a good parent. And I have this image management thing going on that I really like to look good in front of other people. Folks, is that how you pray for your family? A Christ-centered prayer sounds more like this. Oh God, I know that my wife has gifts and dreams. And would you teach me how to serve her? That I would serve her in whatever way it is. Or I would serve my husband in whatever way I can. So that they could reach their full potential. And God, when it comes to my kids, would you show me how to serve them? How to love them? How to know how to bite my tongue? know when to say something, when not to say something, so that I could build them up in Christian character that they would follow you in such an amazing way. And what about when we're sitting in this chair, in our free time chair, and the world, you know, throws us a curveball or things aren't going so right. Anybody have anything recently in your free time in which you just kind of got messed up? Raise a hand here. Oh, the rest of you are liars. You all got stuff in your We all do. Perfect example for me. Last Saturday, I performed a wedding. An hour before the wedding, I'm going through my manuscript. And there was this one section where you're supposed to do the lighting of the candle. You know, both moms go up, they light a candle, and then the bride and groom... You know, they come up and then they light the center candle and, uh, you know, God's in our life and that's kind of it. Some of you guys right now were so trashed at your wedding, you're like, candle, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that was just my dad, you know, I mean. <laughs> so I get to this part of the manuscript and it's not there. Now, my administrative assistant, Jennifer, is a wonderful person. She does amazing things. I mean, our church has really done better at follow-up and caring for people simply because she's in that place. But on this particular time, she didn't put it in the manuscript. I gave it to her, had everything ready. Why isn't it there? Now, in that moment, I started thinking of creative words for Jennifer. I won't mention those words right now. But I did. And I just started thinking, I'm, I'm in the office. Now we're like, you know, 40 minutes before the wedding. I'm like, God, do I have to do everything in this church? You know? 
What a jerk, right? I mean, come on. And like seriously, I mean, you turned, you know, bread, you know, you fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Just put in a lighting unity candle thing here. Just do it. And I don't know about you, but maybe you have some bad things that happen just in life. Maybe you're traveling or things don't turn out the way that you want. And you start wanting to blame. And in those moments, we have the opportunity whether or not we're going to choose to overcome or not. And you can think of creative names for the person. You just don't have to say it. Or you don't have to pick up the phone and let them know. Folks, when things don't go according to your plan, rather than lashing out and going off, not, why not just think about Romans 8.37? I am more than a conqueror. I can overcome this frustration. I can overcome this bitterness. I can overcome this anger. I can bless someone even though I'm not feeling very good right now. And friends, when we start living that way, when you see every situation in your life as an opportunity to maybe overcome so that God gets some glory in your life, then people all of a sudden, while you're sitting in this chair and you're going through your life, they start going, I've never met someone like him. I've never met someone like her. They just are content and they just kind of go along. So the key to this inseparable relationship with God is the individual practices like reading the Bible and praying and getting connected into a small group. But it's also about being in that chair consistently on Sundays because summer's coming, right? And we may be tempted to not be in that chair as much. And uh, it's really important that you keep your rear in that particular chair because it affects your work and your family and everything else. Now, some of you right now are saying, Bunch, clue, fool, I'm here. Why don't you go and talk to the people who aren't here today? They need to hear this. Well, let's have a little conversation. I hear some of you who say things like this. I'm here all the time. I'm at church all the time. Now let me just ask you, are you really here all the time? I thought about it this week. And here's the truth. There are 52 Sundays in a year. And, you know, we say, I'm here all the time. Now, most of us get three weeks of vacation, right? So we blow that off. You know, forget that. We're, we're on vacation. And then I looked up and found that there are six holiday weekends. President's Day weekend. Oh, I can't do church, man. It's President's Day. I love presidents. You know? You can't even name the presidents. But you're like, you know what? This is a good weekend to stay off. There's Memorial Day weekend. There's Fourth of July weekend. There's Labor Day weekend. We know there's Thanksgiving that's coming. And we know that there's New Year's Eve. 
Folks, we know this. We know. And then, once you get through that, then you have, you know, three weather weekends, three weather Sundays. You wake up, it's snowing, the road looks kind of bad, even though it's been plowed and everything's good to go. You're like, ooh, this bed feels warm. Mm. I'm good. And then we have three sick days, right? You always have three sick days. You're sick, your kid's sick, or the dog wakes up sick. You're like, we're done. Dog threw up for the second time. We're done. And then we have three sports weekends, right? I'll never forget when the Colts uh, went to the Super Bowl and they won. I thought we were going to have to close down church. (laughs) Folks, the Super Bowl doesn't start till 6 o'clock. Whoop, done. Then we have this one. Uh, Three Sundays because you don't like the topic. You're like, I don't don't like the topic. I'm not coming. We know. We We sit there. In fact, we're saying, hey, we're going to teach on this. We're like, oh, man. We ain't going to have good crowds these next three weeks, you know. And then the best one of all is this last one. Three rebellion Sundays. You know what I mean? You wake up and you blow off a Sunday simply because I can. So for those of you who say, I'm here all the time, you're just here part of the time. You know what I mean? And, and let me say this, rarely on time. I sit up there sometimes, and after I'm preparing and getting ready, I'll look out that window, and I look out at the church, and I think, boy, it's going to be a low attendance Sunday. But God, you know what? We're more than conquerors. Let's go for it. And I sit there, and I worship. And then when I come up here, it's like we've doubled. I'm just saying, let's show up on time so we can worship God fully. Now, some of you are sitting there right now and you're saying, Bunch, I doubt your statistics. Don't doubt my statistics. Don't doubt them. For example, just within our children's ministry, in the early days, our kids came four out of four Sundays. People would go and they would take their kids and their kids would be in there four out of four Sundays. Then about year five, we did another statistic and we found that it was three out of four Sundays. And I just found out uh, a few weeks ago when I sat down with Jennifer, most of our kids, I mean, most of our kids who are there pretty consistently, it's two out of four Sundays. Folks, let me remind you, your kids can't call a cab. Your kids can't get on the back of a a dad's motorcycle and come here. They are totally helpless and dependent upon you to get here. And kids see God differently than adults. They think God lives here. And when you take that away from them, it's like you're taking away time that they get to be with God. Now let me close by sharing this. Throughout the history of Christianity, for 2,000 years, 
It has been very central to the fact that people would meet together and gather together in these chairs because it was important. And you might say, well, why should I commit to that? I mean, it takes a lot of work sometimes to get our family together. Why should I commit to sitting in that chair and being committed to it? Well, first of all, Jesus did. Luke 4.16 says this, And on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his, what's it say? As his custom. It was the custom of Jesus Christ to regularly be together with the community when they met. And it is the height of arrogance, folks, for any of us to think that we don't have to do that when the one who we follow said it was part of his custom. Here's the second reason we need to commit to that. Because the Bible tells us to. The Bible tells us to. I could give you different scriptures, but let me just give you one. Hebrews 10.25 Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Now sometimes people will say, Oh man, you're getting really legalistic now, Chris. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just trying to be biblical and intentional to tell you that if you're not consistently in this chair, folks, it will affect the way that you sit in the other chairs of your life. It just does. I've never known anyone who sat in that chair consistently who didn't have transformation. And I've never known anyone who didn't sit in that chair where there weren't issues in those other chairs. Here's the uh, final reason that you'll want to be committed. Because God just might move in your life supernaturally. God just might move in your life supernaturally. I talk to people all the time. In fact, one of the guys who gave his story at Easter, people will tell me, I can take you to the chair where I sat, and I felt God's comfort. I felt His caring. I felt His challenge. I can take you to the chair where when my marriage was just about ready to collapse, God came and worked in my life. I can take you to the chair where I was ready to give up on my wayward kid, but I didn't. I can take you to the chair where I was ready to give up on this God thing and go my own way, and God brought me back into a relationship. In fact, just last week, there was a guy who was sitting in one of these celebration chairs. He had sat in these different chairs for 35 years of his marriage to his wife. But he always felt empty somewhere in his work life. He always felt empty in his family life. He always felt empty in that free time kind of area. In fact, he had even been to other churches before, and he had sat in that chair before, but it just didn't seem to work. And each time that they would share communion, and they would pass it along, he would say, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not good enough. I could never receive that. But last week, God showed up supernaturally in his chair where he sensed God tell him, I love you. You're my son. You matter to me. And he took communion for the first time. I got an email from his wife this week, and this is what she said. When my husband rose Sunday to accept Christ and take communion for the first time, my composure crumbled. This man does not do anything lightly. 
I knew at that moment that he had finally opened his heart to the reality that Jesus was God's son. And he was ready to follow him from that day forward. His life has changed, and this is a big deal in my life. I can't stop smiling. You see, folks, God rescued him in that chair. God rescued his marriage to put it on a different trajectory. God rescued his family. And I'm so glad that his rear end was sitting in this chair on that particular day. Because what would have happened if he hadn't been sitting there? He would have never heard the supernatural voice of God to his spirit telling him, I love you, I care for you. You see, folks, I've never known anyone who chooses not to sit in this chair to do life really well in these other ones. But I've also never known anyone who consistently sits in this chair that their life isn't changed in the other chairs. And so today, God wants us to recognize that He is the one who meets us in that chair. And that even when things are going really, really bad, that we can be reminded that He's going to turn it in for our good over time. And that God is for us. He's not against us. He's for us. And we learn that when we sit in this chair. And that we are more than conquerors. That we can overcome anything. And we receive that when we sit in this chair. Now I was trying to think how we'd close today. And what I thought was, you've been sitting in a chair far too long. So everybody stand up. And what we want to do now is we want to thank the one and to lift him up for allowing us to be connected to him in this chair so that he might receive all the glory. Let's sing to our great God for what he has done in our lives. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever.
If you would, uh, if you have 15 minutes, we're going to baptize five people down at the pool. Uh, Let's close in prayer. God, may all honor and glory and praise be given to you. We no longer count our program as important. But we want your program, God. We want your purposes. So take our lives, God. Let them be all for you, all for your glory, God. Move everyone in this church, I pray right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to want to be on your program so that your name would be made great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Come on up.